Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to your word, uh, we ask that you will uh, grant it not merely to be a text that stays on a page, but that it would become uh, your living voice that addresses us at the deepest parts of who we are. Um, That's an adventurous prayer to pray, but it's one that we want to pray with all of our heart. And so we ask, uh, and we we ask that your Holy Spirit to be very uh, proactive in our lives and in our hearts, that you will dig out the ears of our hearts that we might hear as you would have us hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, and um, please, if you would, turn back to page, uh, what is it, uh, eight and nine. Um, we're continuing in our series in the story of Jonah. And uh, today we come to Jonah chapter 2, which begins with uh, a big fish swallowing Jonah, ends with the fish vomiting Jonah out, so that's fun. And, um, but as we get into it, uh, I want to ask a question, and it's a little bit of a, it's kind of a high-octane question, and it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a heavy question, but we're just going to go there right away, okay? Here's, here's the question, and it's an important question because the answer to it will determine to a great extent uh, whether or not uh, we are effective as a church, the extent to which we are alive as followers of Jesus versus just kind of religious merely. So here's the question. Have we met God... Uh, in the darkest and the ugliest and the least polite parts of our lives? Or have we sequestered God into uh, the public, polite, and pleasant areas of our lives? Now, I know that that's a heavy question to start a sermon with, but here's why I want to zero in on it. Um, We're continuing in the story of Jonah, And here we are, uh, we get to the famous bit, we get to the part where, you know, Jonah gets swallowed and then vomited. And for a lot of us, that's the only part of the story of Jonah that we're familiar with, and most of us have never really engaged this story at all, except as a children's story. Am I right? And many of us, if we've thought about Jonah at all, we imagine perhaps that if there is a moral or a story or or some uh, significance to this story, it's something like, you know, you better be good or you might get eaten. (laughs) What I want to point out, though, is that this story, strange as as it is, it is not child's play. It's actually uh, really important, and it's critical equipment in order for us as a church uh, to be not just a religious club, but to be something vital. It teaches us something about the fundamental heart of the Christian life. And it really, in a way, it opens up the fundamental miracle that has to happen in every single Christian in order for us to be alive. And the miracle in this story is not so much that Jonah survives in the belly of a whale. The miracle, here's the miracle, you ready? The miracle in this story is that God breaks into Jonah's darkest, ugliest, least polite parts of his soul, and then there transforms that area into a temple of the living God. And that's the story that we need to see. That's the miracle we need to apprehend. And that's the miracle we need to ask God to do in our lives. 
and that's what we need to figure out today. Okay? All right, let's get into it. Okay, the fish, all right? Now, here's the deal with the fish. If you, need to, if you want to understand the fish, you've got to back up and understand what we were talking about last week. So, you know, previously in Jonah, um, you remember last week, um, what happens is the, the whole story starts with uh, God calls Jonah to be a prophet, to go to this place called Nineveh, which is where the big, big bad people lived, and to uh, call out against them in judgment. However, Jonah doesn't want to do that. Uh, he doesn't like the plan, and so he runs. And what he does is he goes down to Joppa, which is near modern-day Tel Aviv, right on the coast uh, of the Mediterranean. He gets on a boat, and he starts sailing for a place called Tarshish. Where's Tarshish? I don't know. Nobody knows. That's the point. He's running away. But he's not primarily running from Nineveh. What's he running from? Do you remember? He's running from the presence of the Lord. Now, we'll find out in two weeks why he's running from the presence of the Lord. But for right now, don't worry about that. For whatever reason, he has decided God is not good, and I'm better off on my own, and so I'm running. And I'm running as far away from my God as I possibly can. So he runs. Fast forward. Uh, he gets on the boat. The storm happens. He gets tipped overboard. He gets swallowed. Now, that's where the story should end, Right? Like, I don't know any, I'm, like, I'm not a biologist, but I understand shark bellies are unpleasant places, right? They're not, you know, you don't live. You don't, you get swallowed, you die. It's the whole point, right? So that the shark can, you know what I mean. But that's part of the point. Jonah runs from the Lord's presence, and he gets swallowed by death itself. Look at verse 2 in Jonah's song. Jonah says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. What's Sheol? Well, Sheol is a strange word, but it refers to the place of the dead. Look at verse 5, and, and go with the imagery here. Feel it. He says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. Imagine him sinking down, down. The, the, the sunlight is becoming dimmer and dimmer above him. The deep surrounded me. Weeds, kelp, are wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. Can you feel him beginning to suffocate? I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. The point is that Jonah died. Or he thought he was dying. Or he might as well have died. He's in the belly of shale, but there's a deeper point. There's a deeper point. Here's the deeper point. Jonah was experiencing exactly what he wanted. What do you mean by that? Jonah wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord, and he very nearly succeeded. Let me explain this just a little bit. In this time period, there was a widespread idea that different gods had different jurisdictions. So that um, if you were, for instance, in Babylon, you should probably look after the, you know, the gods of Babylon. If you're in Assyria, you're responsible to the gods of Assyria. Um, and that explains a little bit why Jonah runs geographically. He runs to run away from Israel away from the land of the Lord in order to get away from his presence. But he runs to the sea. And in that 
culture, there was a widespread idea that the sea, anywhere in the world, the sea was particularly the location of evil. It, it was the place where chaos ruled. It was the place where the gods weren't in control, or if there were gods in control, they were other gods. So he's going away from the land of the Lord into the sea, which is as far away as you can get within the realm of life away from the presence of the Lord. But then he gets tipped overboard and he goes down and he goes down and he goes down into shale. He goes down into death. And all through the Bible, death is an image of what it is to be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Now put all of that together... And what you've got is here is Jonah in the belly of the fish and he is as far away from the Lord as you can possibly be. But that's exactly what he was pursuing and exactly what he wanted in a way. He's as far away from the Lord's jurisdiction as he can possibly be. And another way to put that is that he was as far away from the temple of the Lord as you can possibly be. Jim, why are you talking about the temple all of a sudden? Well, because Jonah does. Did you notice that? Why does Jonah talk about the temple of the Lord? Well, the temple of the Lord was the epicenter of the Lord's jurisdiction. It was like an embassy. It was the Lord's, it was heaven's sovereign territory. But now Jonah is as far away as you can possibly be from the embassy. And he's on his own. And then verse 7. There, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. Now, stop here, because there's a little bit of me, I don't know about you, but there's a little bit of me that wants to say, Jonah, well, that's good for you. I mean, you know, you've, you've, you're lost at sea. You're, you might as well be stranded on the moon. It's lovely that at that point you remember the Lord, but dude, you're gone, man. You've made, you've, you have exactly what you want. You've made your bed. Now sleep in it. Look back at the verse. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your temple. And that's the really weird verse. I mean, the fish is weird, granted, but that's the really weird verse. What's the miracle in this story? Is it that Jonah survived in the belly of the fish? Well, yeah, but not the main one. Is it that Jonah died and came back? Yeah, but not the main one. The real miracle in this story is that the Lord heard Jonah's prayer, and the Lord, defying all ideas of jurisdiction, he breaks out of the temple, and he breaks out of the land of Israel, so to speak, and he reaches out into the chaotic sea, and he reaches his hand down into the chaotic sea and into the belly of a fish, and he rescues a man beyond all hope. The real miracle of this story is that the Lord chose in his kindness and his mercy to reach out and rescue a man who desired to be lost and didn't deserve to be found. And that reaches into a very deep question within a lot of our hearts. One of the questions that weighs down the human heart is the question, am I outside the jurisdiction of God? Can you identify with that? Some of us here know the stone-cold fear that can, that can be right along with that question. Am I outside? 
And it was a question that was right before the face of the first readers of Jonah. Who were the first readers of Jonah? Well, probably they were, Jonah was probably written right around the time that Israel was in exile. And so Israel's national life was collapsing. They had largely, like Jonah, rejected God. And they found themselves, many of them, in exile. Some in Assyria, some in Babylon. And the question before them was, we know we've been unfaithful to the Lord. The temple's been destroyed. It's not just that we're a long way away. It's gone. And now the question is, are we outside the jurisdiction of God? Are we now under the gods of Babylon? Are we now under the gods of Assyria? And is there any hope for an unfaithful people like us? And then they read Jonah. And the story of Jonah whispers hope to them. The story of Jonah whispers a hope that says there is a special kind of grace for those who feel outside the jurisdiction of God. And the promise is that the Lord's mercy transcends jurisdiction. That the Lord's mercy doesn't recognize the barriers of jurisdiction. That the Lord doesn't stay in his temple. That the Lord's mercy barrels out through the stone temple walls and reaches out to people who are far flung in their hearts and in geography and in every other way. And the Lord's mercy reaches down into death itself to save a people who deserve nothing of it. Can you imagine what that felt like to hear that for the first time? Now, for us, let me ask you a question I asked you at the beginning. Have you met God in the darkest, ugliest, and least polite parts of your life? Or do we sequester God to the pleasant, polite, and public parts of our hearts? Because God meets Jonah in the worst place. The fish's belly was Jonah's tomb, wasn't it? Isn't that the whole point? But the Lord's mercy transformed it into a temple. The tomb became the place where Jonah met God and tasted his presence. And this is terribly important, friends, because a lot of us here feel deeply isolated from God. Some of us uh, don't even believe that God exists. Some of us aren't sure we want God to exist. Others of us believe in God, but um, we just feel deeply isolated, deeply cold, detached. Is that you? And the solution, if that's where you're at, is not, I've got to claw my way back up out to God. The solution is not, I've got to behave and believe. The solution is the opposite. The solution is the Lord must meet you in your isolation. The solution is that the Lord must enter those parts of your life where you have previously forbidden him. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who meets God in the tomb. There's no other place to meet him. And corpses don't crawl out of tombs except in weird movies. But the whole story of the Bible is that God raises the dead. And friends, that's God's plan for you and for me. So let me ask you a question. Where are you isolated from God? Is your whole life 
largely, if you're honest, isolated from God? Or are there merely parts of your life that are isolated from God? It's just a little bit of segregation going on. The Lord is here, but I don't want to talk about here. Friends, the Lord wants to target your areas of isolation with his presence. And, and, and that's, I mean, this is not just about the story of Jonah. This is the whole story. This is just what God does in the Bible. Um, you remember, the Lord is always breaking through jurisdictions, so to speak. The, the, the whole story of Jesus is, is the Son of God breaking through the jurisdiction of creation to become one of us. Jesus goes up upon the cross, and that was God breaking into the jurisdiction of death. Jesus' body goes into the tomb, but then he comes back to life in the tomb, and there he sanctified the tomb to be a temple of his spirit. And then it doesn't stop there because Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit in us. And what does the Holy Spirit do if the Holy Spirit does not break through jurisdictions of the heart? So that the Holy Spirit comes into a heart that is hard like Jonah's and it is resistant like Jonah's and then begins to soften it and then take it over with love and kindness so that our souls, which once was resistant, become open and consenting to become the temple of the living God. And therefore, the whole story of the growth of the Christian is all about the Holy Spirit taking up jurisdiction in more and more areas of our lives so that he reshapes our desires and he reshapes our relationships and he reshapes the way we do things like go to work and he reshapes every single area of our lives. What area of your life is not being reshaped by the Holy Spirit? That's where God wants to move next. And here's the funny thing. Is it funny? Okay, Jonah is in just a really bad way. Yeah? It's the high point of joy in the story. He sings. It's a poem. It's a song. Why? This is where Christian joy comes from. Because on the one hand, verse 8, Jonah sees the hopelessness of running away from the Lord, which doesn't sound like joy, but it is because he also at the same time knows the joy of gratitude of a loving God who's intervening in his life. And see, that's the trouble of isolating God out of different parts of your life. You know, we often do that because we think, uh, I can't let God into this area of my life because if I do, it'll kill my joy. But the reality is that the very opposite is true. When we isolate God out of portions of our lives, then it ends up, it, it kills our hope for the future. Verse 8. But on the other hand, when God enters into those places, frightening as it often is, when God enters into those places, and there when you meet the Lord in the tomb of your life, so to speak, you meet a God who loves to intervene. And that produces joy. Verse 9. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will repay. Salvation comes from the Lord. Do you know the God who intervenes? Is he intervening? And does it, does it make you sing? That's why we sing, by the way, right? Let me just land, and, and I want to apply this to our prayer life. Um, remember the question. 
Have we met God in our darkest, ugliest, least polite parts of our hearts, or have we sequestered God to the public, polite, and pleasant parts? Now, a lot of us are emphasizing prayer during Lent. So we're meeting in, gr- in triplet groups and praying together uh, and so forth. And if, if you're not in one, uh, let us know and we'll, we'll try to connect you with one. Um, there's, there's two kind of prayers. There's a lot more than two kind of prayers, but you know what I mean. The, here, here's the first one. The first one goes like this. Uh, God, help me have a good day. Don't let bad things happen. Please give me the stuff I want. Thank you. Okay? Now, I'm car- caricaturing right? But in one way, there's nothing wrong with that kind of prayer. But the danger is that that kind of prayer can be a way where we're sequestering God. God, um, be in the polite places of my life, and it'd be really helpful if you'd make those polite places better. And if that's what we're doing, then it's, it's counterproductive. It's backfiring. But then there's another kind of prayer, And this is the kind of prayer that I want to ask you to pursue in your prayer triplets and generally in our church. And it goes a little bit more like this. Lord, you are an interventionist God. And there are no boundaries to your jurisdiction. Jesus bought me with his blood, and therefore there are no limits on his claim in my life. The Holy Spirit has made me to be a temple, and therefore I want his presence to be in every corner of my soul. Father, I know that I isolate myself from you in a whole lot of different ways. Don't let me get away with that anymore. Even though I kind of want to isolate you away from my life, save me from my own desires. Pursue me as you pursue Jonah. Pursue me in your mercy. Save me from my toxic desires. Take jurisdiction in every corner of my life until I can sing out, salvation belongs to the Lord. Does that sound crazy? Can we learn to pray like that? Can that be like a default setting? That'd be cool, eh? Verse 1 says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Friends, the Lord works with us. He meets us in our tombs. And really, he doesn't meet us elsewhere. Not really. Not at first. But there he gives us new life. New life that we don't deserve, that we cannot produce. And the secret is that's how you become a real Christian. It's also how you grow as a real Christian. It's how you become a living church. And it's not plan B. It's not like this is, you know, God wanted us to really behave, but, you know, none of us do, and so this is the contingency plan. No. This is plan A, and there isn't another one. And it's a good place. And it's where the Lord wants to take us. Um. A little bit later on, um, when we take communion, we're going to try something a little different. I'm going to ask those who are going to help with prayer in the back at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to come and receive communion first. And then what I want you to do is the the people who are going to pray are going to get up and, and go to either side over here so that when all the rest of us are coming to receive prayer or receive communion, if you like, you can receive communion and then immediately, instead of going back to your seat, immediately go and receive prayer. And you don't have to pray for anything in particular other than just say, 
will you pray for me that God's intervention would go deeper? Let's give it a go.